Hornet Heaven, Series 1, Episode 2. We was robbed. Earth Season 2015-16. It ought to have been one of his favourite Watford matches of all time. It wasn't. Today, he re-watched it from the lower tier behind the goal. Darius slotted his penalty. Then the final whistle blew and the players bounced around in their yellow victory T-shirts. These days, ten years on, there were only two words to describe what was going on. Absolute scenes. Now, though, the awful moment was about to happen. The moment that would cause so many people so much hurt. He watched Aidy take the microphone. A few moments later, Boothroyd's voice boomed out across the stadium with a message to Watford fans. We will not be relegated! Hundreds of euphoric Watford fans chanted in response, We are staying up! I said, We are staying up! This was where it had all gone wrong. In this one moment, the manager had ignited fans' expectations, with the inevitable result that the next season would be far more miserable than it need have been. He shook his head. Decades of experience had taught him that, in all aspects of life, happiness is dictated by the gap between how you expect things to turn out and how they actually turn out. He even had a mathematical equation for it. Happiness equals reality minus expectation. The 2005-06 promotion season in front of his eyes had proved the maths. Everyone had expected Watford to go down. In reality, they'd gone up. Maximum happiness. QED. Later... The 2013-14 season had proved it in a different way. Fans had expected Watford to go up. In reality, the team had finished mid-table. Negative happiness. QED. He left his seat in the Millennium Stadium and headed for the ancient turnstile. He was worried. Earlier this evening... He'd watched fans swarm onto the Vicarage Road pitch after the match against Sheffield Wednesday, celebrating promotion to the Premier League. They seemed to think that Watford had made it to the promised land for good. Again. They were repeating the same mistake. For the sake of their own happiness next season, 2015-16, their expectations needed to be kept as low as possible. Someone had to do something. By the time he emerged through the turnstile onto Occupation Road, he had a plan. B. 
Bill Mainwood passed the spot on Occupation Road where his hut had once stood. For years he'd been perfectly content in his cramped old porter cabin, organising and dispensing programmes, but the recent move into the futuristic glass and steel building on the former site of the Red Lion had made him very happy indeed. He loved the airy expanse of the atrium. He loved the glorious sight each time he entered of 135 years of Watford programmes stretching far into the distance on beautiful shelving. It thrilled him every time he walked through the doors. Except this time. This time he clutched his head in horror. All the shelves, except two, were empty. Uh, hello? Bill didn't answer the voice. He felt as if he was about to be physically sick with fear, although he wasn't sure this could actually happen anymore. The programmes were his responsibility, and they'd vanished. Excuse me, the voice said. Bill turned. He knew the bewildered look of a new arrival when he saw one. The chap was quite young, forties perhaps. Bill's natural sympathy started to bring him out of shock. He lowered his arms and said, Sorry, you've caught me at rather a bad time. Where am I? the man asked. Bill realised an orientation was required. Given the circumstances, it would have to be short. He took a deep breath and went into his usual spiel. You're in Hornet Heaven, the resting place for Watford fans in the afterlife, he began. You'll be happy here. You can go to watch any game in Watford history, including new ones as soon as they've happened. You just go over to these shelves, grab the programme from the game you want, go back out onto Occupation Road and go through the rickety turnstile in the stadium wall. You'll... What programmes? the man asked. Bill was on autopilot. You'll find yourself in the crowd with everyone who was actually at the match in the real world. What programmes? the man repeated. It's not like watching on telly, Bill continued. You can move around and get the whole experience, the sights, the sounds, the smells, all the emotions. Like I say, you can go to any Watford game as often as you like for the rest of eternity. Hello, can you hear me? the man said. Bill fell silent at last. He stared at the vast empty shelves. The programmes were pivotal to the happiness of everyone in Hornet Heaven. And they'd gone missing on his watch. He broke down into deep, heavy, unstoppable sobs. The man helped Bill calm down and dry his eyes. He introduced himself as Gary, a fan since 1981. 
So, where have the programs gone? Gary asked. Bill wasn't yet able to speak. He just shook his head. Gary went over to the only two shelves with stock. He looked at the dates. They're from the two previous seasons in the Prem, he reported. 1999-2000 and 2006-7. I'm not surprised they're left on the shelf. Who in their right mind would want to go and see any of those games again? Miserable years they were. Bill sniffed back a couple of tears in agreement. I want to go and watch the other seasons in the top flight, Gary said. The Taylor and Elton years. Watching those will be the perfect preparation for 2015-16 in the Premier League. This was exactly how Bill had planned to spend pre-season himself. Reliving the glory years of Watford as an established top flight club. But now those years had gone missing, along with everything good throughout Watford's entire history. All that was left were two seasons of unremitting disappointment. He felt on the verge of sobbing again. But instead, he started to galvanise himself. Action was required. There'd clearly been a theft. He needed to catch the thief and get the programmes back. The happiness of Hornet Heaven depended on it. There was no time to waste. He straightened himself up and cleared his throat. Gary, I need your help, he said. Follow me. Stop staring and get looking, Gary. Bill was leading the search for the missing programmes in the back gardens backing onto Occupation Road. Gary was watching Cliff Holton wade through beds of brambles the way the big fella had waded through defences in 1959-60. Gary was awestruck to be alongside the great man in the flesh, or plasma, or whatever. Alongside the big fella, Frank Gammon was kicking out at the brambles with surprising violence. Bill hadn't seen Frank angry like this since half-time during the 7-2 home win over Blackpool last season. He went over to help calm Frank down. Soon, Bill caught sight of his programme assistant, Derek Garston. Derek had died tragically young in 1921 and had the appearance of a cherubic 13-year-old boy. He was brandishing a crowbar as he approached, We've broken into all the lock-up garages, sir, Derek said in his pure, unbroken voice. No sign of the programmes, though. You didn't use that thing to open my lock-up, I hope. I gave you the key. I unlocked the door carefully, sir. All I found inside were the programmes you'd put aside to repair. Is there anything else I can do to help, sir? Bill liked the way Derek had maintained such youthful enthusiasm over a period of more than nine decades. I assume we're looking for 133 crates, if they've been packed up by year, Derek trilled. Though, of course, there weren't many games in the very early seasons as Watford Rovers. 
evidence exists of only three matches from 1881 to... And uh, thank you, Derek, Bill quickly interrupted. He found Derek's smug schoolboy recitation of factual knowledge a little grating at times. A loud voice shouted, Bill! It was Tommy Barnett. Watford's legendary inside forward from the years leading up to World War II. The perpetual septuagenarian was with Larry McGettigan, the mercurial winger from the early 1970s, now forever 41. The lads have combed every inch of the atrium, Tommy reported. Nothing. Bill put his hands on his hips in frustration and looked around. Back on Occupation Road, residents of Hornet Heaven were shuffling about with no games to watch. They didn't look happy. I've got an idea, sir, Derek piped up. Maybe the thief has smuggled the programmes out of heaven somehow. We could try and contact a psychic medium on the other side and get a search started there. Bill didn't think childish fantasy was a particularly useful starting point for an operation to recover the missing programmes. What Derek was suggesting was as unlikely as a team from outside the top four winning the Premier League this coming season. Bill asked for more realistic suggestions. I know, sir. Maybe the thief stashed the programmes at a game somewhere, Derek suggested in a bright, innocent voice that hadn't broken in the 95 years since he started puberty. I bloody hope not, came a growl in a Durham accent. We can't get the games if we don't have the programmes in the first place. This was George Catlow, the tough-tackling wing-half from the 1950s and 1960s. He'd just emerged from a garden shed. Bill asked for other ideas. No one had any. Bill said, We need to get these programmes back urgently. At the very least, we need to search the matches we can still visit. Any volunteers for going to the matches in the two Premier League relegation seasons? He looked around. Tommy Barnett and George Catlow, two of Watford's greatest ever stalwarts, stood with their hands in their pockets, towing the soil, avoiding his gaze. Come on, Bill said. Those years can't really have been that bad. Tommy Barnett looked at the sky and whistled. George Catlow muttered that he needed to go and check the shed again. Derek's treble voice rang out. It's highly unlikely we'll find anything here, sir. They were hurrying towards the pavilion at Cassio Road at a Southern League Division I match at home to New Brompton on April the 8th, 1911. There had been two copies of the match programme awaiting repair in Bill's lock-up. By the way, sir, did you know that future England captain Arthur Grimsdale made his debut for Watford at the end of this season as a 17-year-old? Bill didn't have time to listen to a small boy regurgitating facts and figures he'd been committing to memory for nearly a hundred years. He said, 
We need to find these programs fast. We'll split up. You check inside the pavilion. I'll look round the back. As he spoke, a cheer went up from the crowd of 3,000. Charlie White, a stylish inside forward who later ran the railway arms on St Albans Road, had just scored the second of his two goals in the 3-0 win. But it looks like rain, sir. Best if you stay under cover and I search round the back, Derek sweetly offered. Bill didn't mind rain. He'd got soaked at one of his all-time favourite games when Watford beat European champions Aston Villa with a muddy last-minute Wilf Rostron 25-yarder in February 1983. It had definitely added to the experience. He repeated his instruction to Derek to search inside. Behind the pavilion, Bill found no stolen programmes. He did find something odd, though. A brick-built latrine that twitched and flickered like a faulty television screen. He assumed this was some kind of legacy from the famous software glitch that had affected Hornet Heaven's 3D visuals just before the 2013 playoff final. He gave up and hurried back to the front of the pavilion to meet up with Derek. Soon, Derek reappeared. His small, empty hands were spread wide. No luck. Clearly, they needed to escalate the search. But how? Heaven spent the next two weeks in the doldrums. Until now, residents of Hornet Heaven had always had 24-7 access to a club history full of moments of joy, excitement and pure wonder. They'd had access to football teeming with players of mesmerising talent. Now, they hadn't. It was just like supporting MK Dons. The search for the programmes continued. Arthur Woodward was particularly helpful. The renowned midfield enforcer from 1926 to 1939 politely menaced the residents into searching the matches from the Premier League relegation seasons. But everyone returned with nothing to report except hopeless failure. Just as they had when the matches originally took place. There was a lift in people's spirits when the programme for the first game of 2015-16 came in. It was Watford's first game back in the Premier League. Everyone was very excited as they went off to Goodison Park. Afterwards, Bill spotted his friend Sid Simmons, who'd finally got to watch Watford in the Premier League after 79 years of following the Orns. Sid seemed to be in some kind of daze. He was wandering around Occupation Road, murmuring to himself, Wonderful. Wonderful. Not everyone returned from the game satisfied, though. At 2-1 up with five minutes left, you've got to expect to close out the game, Gary complained as he stood in the atrium with Bill and Derek. What? What are you talking about? 
the small boy squeaked. Bill had never heard Derek take this aggressive tone before. Here's a fact for you, Derek said. Before today, we'd lost every single game we'd played at Goodison. The entire weight of history was against us. So what you've got to expect is to lose and be delighted with a point. Bill was surprised at how worked up Derek seemed to be getting. Derek went on at an even higher pitch. Don't you see? Happiness is dictated by the gap between how you expect things to turn out and how they actually turn out. Gary didn't look too interested. This seemed to rile Derek even more. I can prove it! Mathematically! Derek insisted. The equation is happiness equals reality minus expectation. Gary now looked as disinterested as Macha Vidra when he played on the wing. Derek continued. Football fans can't influence the reality of results, especially those of us in the afterlife. Our only mathematical option is to make sure we keep our expectations low. Then... Derek said something in a tone that really made Bill's ears prick up. Honestly, Gary, have the two relegation seasons left in the atrium taught you nothing? Bill kept a close eye on Derek over the next few weeks. He noticed the boy voicing a consistently forthright view. While other people were debating whether it was good or bad that Watford had drawn their first three matches... Derek was insisting that the benchmark should be Watford's worst start to a Premier League season, just a single point in 2006-07. No one should expect a victory until November, at the earliest, Derek argued forcefully. He seemed to want people to expect to be miserable. Watford fans in the real world, however, seemed quite content with how things were going. Bill had noticed this at the recent games at home to West Brom and Southampton. Living fans were much happier than the residents of Hornet Heaven, who spent their time between games kicking their heels, deprived of all the old games they usually loved to watch. There's nothing to do, Gary moaned. It makes me wish I had my phone to help me kill time. On Twitter or something, he said. Uh, no, scrub that. Obviously not Twitter, he added, after he gave it a moment's thought. Twitter was hell, but you know what I mean. As the long days passed, Bill thought quite hard about Derek's view of the world. He'd always reckoned the boy had a chip on his shoulder about having died so young. To be fair... This wasn't very surprising for a young lad whose hopes and dreams for his life had been cruelly dashed by tuberculosis at the age of 13. So maybe this philosophy of Derek's about keeping expectations low was a way of trying to come to terms with his own premature death. Over the course of the month, Bill's conjecture became a firm hypothesis. He reckoned that Derek's view of the world was a motive for the schoolboy to have stolen the programmes that had gone missing. His suspicion was that by making only the two relegation seasons available to watch, Derek was trying to brainwash his fellow fans into expecting that Watford would fail in the Premier League in 2015-16.
so that they'd experience less disappointment at relegation or greater joy at staying up. But how could Bill prove it? So, how do you think we'll get on at home to Swansea? Bill casually asked Derek a day before Watford's fifth game of the season. We'll lose, sir. They're an established Premier League side. Ah, but do you remember we played them at home early on in our first year in the top flight in 1982-3? Bill asked. Beat them. 2-1. Fourth game of the season, in fact, sir. Derek replied, but that's the wrong comparison. They'd only been up for a year. It's completely different now, sir. We have to expect to lose on Saturday. Important result that day, though, Bill said. Do you remember who scored? Derek paused. He scrunched his soft face as he tried to remember. Don't tell me, sir, he said. He squeezed his blue eyes shut but opened them again in frustration. Sorry, sir. This is most unlike me. I'll get there in a moment. No problem, Bill said. Remembering club history off by heart doesn't make someone any more of a fan. We can look it up in the programme from the next game. Only... Ah... We can't, of course. It's on the tip of me tongue, sir. Derek chirped. He wrapped his knuckles on his blonde head. Nothing came. But he wasn't the kind to admit defeat over a Watford fact. Leave it with me, sir, he said. I'm sure I'll remember soon. And that was how Bill Mainwood laid his trap for the thief. Derek thought no one was watching as he slipped through the rickety ancient turnstile with the programme for the 1911 New Brompton home game. But Bill had grabbed the second copy and was following. At Cassio Road, Bill watched Derek nip round the back of the pavilion. Derek went and stood in front of the latrine that was flickering and buzzing so strangely. With a swish of his blonde hair, he glanced left and right, then entered. A few minutes later, he emerged again. His blue eyes darted left and right again and saw Bill. Blissett and Callahan against Swansea, was it? asked Bill. The small boy realised the game was up. He bowed his head. Derek heaved out more than a hundred crates and piled them on the touchline in front of the Cassio Row pavilion. He sat down on one to rest. Bill sat on the next crate. They watched Charlie White score his second goal again. When the game quietened down once more, Derek bowed his head and confessed. The latrine is a portal to the real world, sir. It takes you to the modern-day West Hart sports ground on Cassio Road. Really? Where exactly? Bill asked. 
at the bottom of the groundsman's compost heap, sir. I just pushed the programmes through so they'd be hidden under the grass cuttings. They'll probably stink a bit now. Sorry about that. For a while, in silence, they watched the 1911 Watford players in their white shirts and black knickerbockers charging around the mud heap. Bill reckoned they could have done with Alman Abdi to put his foot on the ball. So your ruse was to try to keep fans' expectations low, was it? He asked. The boy looked up. Heaven's meant to be a happy place, sir. That's what I wanted for everyone. I can prove mathematically that happiness is reality minus expectation. But you can't brainwash people into having low expectations, Derek. They form their own expectations. They use their knowledge, their experience, their personal judgment. Their personality plays a big part too. You, Derek, you're... Bill tailed off. He thought he'd better not go there. Derek was looking a bit fragile. What, sir? Derek squeaked. Bill decided to try another tack. Let me ask you this. What did you expect of Odeon Igalo after a game or two? Not much. And he made us all very happy indeed last season. Proves my point perfectly, sir. And what did you expect of Nathan Ellington back in 2007? Derek spat. For £3.25 million, sir? That misfit? See? Bill said. You couldn't help yourself. The price tag alone created expectations you couldn't control. The boy shrugged. You see, Derek, you can't tell people what to feel, Bill said. Pundits try, managers try, other fans try, but people will always have the reactions they have. It's something you have to allow and accept. As a football fan, you need to respect other fans' emotions. Derek shrugged again, but he had to admit it. Bill was right. They started to lug the crates back towards the ancient turnstile. After a while, they sat down for another rest on the touchline and watched the 1911 team ploughing through the mud. The surroundings made Bill sympathise a little with what Derek had been trying to achieve. He reflected how, with Watford now in the hyper-hyped Premier League, it was a good thing to remember the club's roots. It made you keep things in perspective, stopped your hopes and expectations getting the better of you, kept your feet on the ground, even if they did sink in quite a lot. Derek, though, was already showing signs of moving on. I understand that I shouldn't try to control other people's expectations, sir, he said. But it's my own expectations I want to control too. Last season we were so good, he complained. Ah, 
Bill said. What you need to do is to respect your own emotions too. Unshackle them. Don't hold yourself back. Don't try to protect yourself. Watch Watford in the Premier League and feel the full force of the ups and downs. White knuckle it. Derek looked at Bill and realised the old man was right on this too. He felt a small teardrop blur his vision. For someone who devoted his life to football programmes, Bill was a wise old bird. The final whistle blew. Come on, Bill said. Help me restock the shelves. I can guarantee that this time you'll definitely make a lot of people very happy. Bill and Derek were still restocking the shelves the next day, while most people were at the Swansea game. Soon people started emerging from the ancient turnstile. There was elation on their faces after Watford's first win of the season. Bill looked out of the atrium and saw Skilly Williams, the goalkeeping legend who'd played nearly a century ago. He was waggling a finger in his ear as if he'd been deafened by the noise inside Vicarage Road. But he was smiling from ear to ear. Behind Skilly came Charlie White, eternally 36 years old, in a smart 1920s suit. He was arm-in-arm arm with his portly friend and former teammate Willie Wheeler, who seemed to be wearing spats. Dash marvellous, Charlie kept saying, over and over. Behind Charlie were George Catlow and Cliff Halton. George said, No doubt about it. Deanie and Igarlo are Watford's best strike pairing since you and Dennis Uphill. The big fella nodded happily as he contemplated exactly how high in Watford's history the quality of the performance he just witnessed must rank. Behind them, Tommy Barnett simply threw his arms in the air and started chanting, We are P -P Premier League! I said, We are P -P Premier League! Gary, the newbie, and everyone else around him joined in. Bill looked across at Derek when he heard the chant. He worried for a moment that it might spark a reaction in the boy, that Derek would try to put a lid on such bullish celebration. But Derek was calm. He was busy putting back the final programmes of 1982-3. A moment later, Derek appeared alongside Bill, holding two programmes. I'm sorry for the trouble I caused, sir. I've thought about what you said, and I'm in a better position to deal with whatever this season holds. That's good to hear, Bill said. Derek said, I want to white-knuckle it. Then Derek held out the programmes he was holding. They were from the game when Watford achieved their highest league finish ever with a 2-1 home win over Liverpool in May 1983. 
I want you to take me to this, sir, Derek said. Bill looked at him doubtfully. Are you sure you'll cope? This was our historic peak of achievement. According to your maths, going again will create an expectation that will make you unhappy with the reality of just about anything yet to come. Derek looked Bill in the eye and said, I've always hated maths, sir. Bill laughed. Come on, he said. Let's go and fill our hearts with what could be. End of episode two. The next story from Hornet Heaven will be episode three. We've got Lloydinho. To find out more, go to hornetheaven.com. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wicken. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wicken. <laughs>